So I have a topic here that I have selected and I'm trying to remember. So the topic is when you're old and only remember, remember jokes. The only way to learn new things is to make jokes about them. Seems like a good way to do it. And this is a thing for me where like what I seem to remember best is jokes that I made that I really liked. <laughs> Specifically jokes that you made. Yeah. So you have to make your own jokes out right. of it. Right. Uh, there was an example of like uh, vocabulary that I learned that I made a joke about. Uh, and I only remember the, the word because I jo- liked the joke. And I was going to give an example. Then I can't remember what the example. So it didn't, this didn't even work. Even the, the joke trick didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> there goes your only mnemonic. When you're old, you'll know nothing. <laughs> I'm Josh. I'm Elena. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. Josh, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? My name's Josh. I have a YouTube channel. It's called Thunk, uh, youtube.com slash thunkshow, because thunk was already taken as a URL. And I just talk about like random nerd stuff, I guess, is the best way to sum up the stuff that I, I kind of do there. Cool. Elena, well, same question. I'm Elena. I'm Jim's sister. I don't have an online identity. You could also plug my YouTube channel. Yeah, no, it's a good YouTube channel. I like I like Josh's YouTube channel. Uh, you could plug Acid Water. Oh, oh yeah. you guys, everybody needs to know that you can just buy citric acid and malic acid on the internet. They just let you have it and you can put it in your water and then your water is sour. No other flavors, just sour. It's extremely refreshing. Isn't alkaline water a thing? Like people are trying to actively increase their pH or something? Maybe. I, baking soda water just doesn't sound as tasty, but I guess give it a try. I remember learning the same thing about concrete and that you could just buy concrete at any... And put it in your water. Put it in your <laughs> toilet. <laughs> Why did you concrete your toilet? Uh, just to see what would happen. It's so refreshing. <laughs> it's refreshing. <laughs> uh, would you like to get started with some topics? Yeah, let's do a topic. So, Elena, your first topic is procrastination or avoidance as a protective coping mechanism. Oh, man, I have a lot to say on this topic. This is like my whole life. This was me an hour ago because I was like, heck, why did I sign myself up to do this super fun thing that involves hanging out with people I like and talking about interesting topics? Now I'm all stressed out. Are you still stressed out? I'm less stressed out now that I've started. That's that's one of the tricks is that once you start, it's less stressful. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about avoidance recently because I'm, I'm job searching and it's hard. Yeah. There's like a bunch of research recently about how procrastination is not like a time management problem or like, I don't know, it's not about like forgetting or something. It's It's an emotion problem. You're overwhelmed by the idea of this thing that you're trying to do or like by some self-concept you have associated with it. And when you try to like confront this thing that you're, you want to get done, then all these emotions start coming up in you and that starts overwhelming you. So what you actually need to defeat procrastination maybe is to learn ways to like calm down and to reframe things to yourself so that like, you know, your whole life doesn't depend on this one thing and figure out like, okay, what is it that I'm actually afraid of? And like sit down and, and like sit down and like talk to your fear, like take your fear seriously. Like, hello, fear. What what is it that you're trying to protect me from? And it's like, I'm trying to protect you from the possibility that you're incapable of surviving in a capitalist system and you're going to starve on the streets. And you're like, all right, that's a legit worry. Let's break that down. <laughs> oh, fear, fear. That got dark real quick, fear. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it turns out like I was like thinking this through and I was like, all right. So like my basic fear is like if I go into an interview, they're going to ask me a question and I'm not going to know the answer. And I was like, well, why am I afraid of that? And it was like, oh, because, you know, then maybe I'll bomb the interview and I won't get the job. And I'm like, all right. So like, why am I afraid of that? And I'm like, well, then maybe I can't get any job. And it, it just goes all the way down. Well, I mean, is the end of every chain of thought. Like, is the end of every one of those chains where you're interrogating, like, what you're afraid of eventually? Well, I'm just afraid that I'm going to die alone. That's that's really it. That's everything. It's like how every Wikipedia topic leads back to philosophy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I think a lot of things bottom out in, like, really fundamental stuff like that. Like, a fear of death or, like, a fear of being alone or a fear that, you're like, you're not a worthwhile person or whatever. 
And does understanding what exactly you're afraid of make it better? On its own, not necessarily. But the thing is, like, once you know, like, kind of all the layers of that fear, like, you know, that, like, little chain of, like, bizarre brain logic, you can intervene at any of those points. And you can be like, all right, so in order to protect myself against the idea that, like, I might not know something, I can study. In order to protect myself against the fear that, like, I, you know, can't survive without a job, I'm going to, like, I don't know, have try to, like, build up a large savings or have a friend group that's really supportive or, you know, other stuff. And so, like, you can talk to yourself about, like, okay, but, like, I have solutions for these things. Yeah, have have other things to do besides, like, cleaning your apartment repeatedly because you just don't want to confront, you know, the job search or whatever that whatever else it is that you're trying to fill your time with to avoid thinking about. Yeah, and also, like, a big thing here with procrastination and that sort of thing is that, like, for me, like, I have ADD really bad. And so there's, like, two times in the world. There's now and there's not now. And, like, I have no ability to prioritize. I can't conceive of, like, different priority levels of things I, like... I understand intellectually that that's a thing that people can do, but I have a really hard time with it. And so if I, like, think about oh, this is an important thing I should do. Or even if I think about like, this is a fun thing I want to do. I immediately think of like 10 or 100 other things that are equally as urgent or equally as fun. And then suddenly I'm just like Buridan's ass, like, oh no, I can't do all of these things, but how do I possibly pick which one I should do? They're all, they're all important. And so obviously you should do none of them. And (laughs) yeah, Um, no, like that's what I end up doing. Is this ass the one that, is equidistant between two sources of food. Yeah, that ass. That ass. Well, I just I, I just heard syllables and then ass, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and pretend. That's why. That's why I didn't try to say the ass's name because I didn't I, I didn't understand it either. Buridan. Uh, I was trying to get Avery to tell me what the deal was with this dog, and in my head, it was a dog that was equidistant between two sources of food and couldn't make the choice. Uh huh. Um, but apparently that now I know the name of this thing. I learned this from other people telling me the word that I didn't know. And then I looked it up and now I'm spreading the joy to you. Well, I still don't know what the word is, though. I, I can. I Buridan. Can... B-U-R-I-D-A-N. It's like some dude in a fable or something. Okay. Oh, it just it just slipped off my brain again. <laughs> uh, there's I'm going to have to sit and look at Send it. Send me for an I am and I'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll do it. <laughs> Anyway, my point is that, like, a lot of the time, the overwhelm related to procrastination is because you're trying to, like, do too many things at once, or you're loading too much meaning onto the thing, and you have to, like, pare it down and be like, okay, but the actual consequences of, you know, doing this thing right now are a lot smaller than all of that. And, you know, it, it yeah. doesn't have to follow all the way down the chain, or it doesn't have to mean I'm picking this thing above all those other things at all times. It's just... This one time, this one thing, doesn't really matter which thing I do, pick one thing and do it, or like break it down into little steps and just do that first step. And so like finding ways to to manage the emotional reaction you have to the idea of this thing and how important it is or how worried you are about it or how much you want to do it. But like, what if, you know, there's a bunch of other things you want to do. If you can like figure out what your emotion there is and like listen to your emotion and be like, what what's your deal? then, you know, sometimes that can help. It sounds like a very healthy way of looking at just, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to be doing right now and figuring out what psychological mechanism, like what clockwork is at work that's, that's making you do that and kind of interceding in it somewhere. Yeah. That is a cool way of doing yeah. things. Yeah, it turns out that mentally beating yourself up about stuff just doesn't help, but self-acceptance does. <laughs> Weird. Right? <laughs> When you were talking about framing, uh, reframing the, pro- the the process you're having trouble with, I was reminded of, there was a writer, I can't remember what writer it is now, I think it might have been Salman Rushdie, uh-huh. who talked about how his writing process is to uh, first take copious notes about the subject he's going to be writing about. Mm-hmm. And then since he's already got a bunch of text, he doesn't need to do any writing, so he just skips right to editing. Beautiful. And how he takes, he, he edits the notes into a coherent text. Yeah, I actually, I used a similar strategy back when I was in school. That sounds much easier than writing. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot easier time outlining than writing. And so I could convince myself, well, I'll, all I have to do is the outline. And then 
it was a lot easier once I had the outline to be like, well, all I have to do is turn this one bullet point into three sentences. So I, I do, you know, I write a script every two weeks. And one thing that Liz always gets on my on my case for, my, my wife acts as my editor. And uh, she, she always kind of say, like, what is it that you're trying to say with this? It feels very unstructured and scattershot. And she's like, you should really do an outline first. And I just, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way for me. I can't linearize. I always feel like I'm trying to grab like six different things. Like I've got my hand wrapped around one idea and I've got another hand wrapped around another idea. I'm holding like two more with my left foot and just trying to squinch them all together. Like trying to cram all of that into a, like a linear ordered pattern of like, this is an outline. This is the logical s- sequence of thoughts that a person should have about this. You're going too far already. My my first outline is just, let me just write down everything I can think of that I might possibly want to say about this thing. Let me just brain dump everything that could be here. And then the s- step two of outlining is reorder those bullet points into any semblance of sense. Oh, that's the thing, though. Everything, everything is related to everything else. Everything has like fifty nodes just spiraling off of it. I don't know. Get one of those mind maps. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. Like when when I when I go to organize my ideas, I instinctively do a sort of a mind mapping thing. Yeah. And for for Liz, that is just anathema. She just looks at <laughs> it like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> What are you doing? It's supposed to be a list. No. You're supposed to put it in order. It's supposed to be whatever works for you. So tell me about these scripts. Are you writing like a lecture? Yeah, they're like, it's a video essay thing. I do like a 10 minute, just a 10 minute blurb on something that I found that I think is interesting. And occasionally like responding to some idea that I have encountered in my uh, like dialogue with someone that's really like pissing me off or something like that. And uh, just like trying to, ostensibly the goal of it is to shrink inferential distance to kind of like give people the tools that they need to engage with topics hmm. uh, <laughs> on a sort of a, like an intuitive level or to, to be able to discuss them with other people who know about them in a comprehensible way. So you're saying you discuss topics I, I'm sorry, man. It's I, listen. These the readers cannot find out about this. <laughs> There's a reason that I wanted to to bring these two minds together. Oh. It's like topics, huh? I, I know a guy who does topics. I I, I promise. I'm I'm tr- I'm not. Like my stuff is very esoteric. There's nothing of the caliber of the topics that that we have laid out before us today. Not even the ones that you submitted. Uh, I mean, one of them. But that's that's just because it's a very interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of, uh, is that next on the itinerary? It is, Josh. Uh, your your topic here is Newcomb's problem. So uh, we're gonna do we're gonna do a little thing. Uh, Elena, do you know do you know this thing? Yeah, I think I know this thing. Okay, so so Elena knows this thing, but for the benefit of like people who might be listening, and also me, you might be listening. Benefit of the doubt and whatnot. <laughs> um, the setup is that there is some sort of predictive power. Uh, the one that I like is a genie. There's this magic genie, and the genie can see the future, and he knows the things that you're going to do. He knows what decisions you're going to make, and he can demonstrate this power in various ways. He's like, uh, you know, he writes down a thing, puts it in an envelope, and says, and you go home and have pizza, and you open the envelope, and it says, you're going to have pizza tonight. Oh, he's got such predictive power. And the genie uh, is going to play a little game with you where there are two boxes. Uh, There is the genie box, and then there's a bonus box. The genie box, uh, if the genie predicted that you were only going to take the genie box, uh, if he predicted that you that was the only one that you were going to take, he put a million dollars in the box. And the bonus box is always the same thing. It's a clear box that has $1,000 in it. And the choice that is before you is, do you take the genie box by itself, just walk away with it, and take just only what's inside there, or do you take both boxes? That's essentially the setup for this scenario. And my question for you is, would you choose to only take the genie box, or would you choose to take both boxes? I'm going to let Jim go first, because I know my answer. I actually have heard this one before. 
it was on an episode of Important If True, which is the podcast that I modeled this podcast after secretly. Ah. Uh, so <laughs> if uh, anybody listens to both, then they're hearing, well, they're, they're getting different people's reactions. So that's fine. I would definitely take the um, just the one box. Yeah, no, I, I am also a one boxer. This genie tells the future. Yeah, no, yeah, if, if, if you I, trust that this thing is correct, then it seems pretty obvious that that would be the, the right answer. It's like stipulated in in the description of the scenario. But if the money's in the box, then the money's in the box already. Right, but if I take both boxes, then the genie probably predicted that I wouldn't, or that I would rather, and I get the, just the measly thousand dollars. I, I want to I wanna be the genie I want to see in the world. Right. <laughs> But the but the, the, the genie already made his choice. It's, it's in the past. It doesn't have any bearing on the present. It is an interesting case of it. It does feel like you are to some extent controlling what happened uh, by making your decision now. Yeah, there's like a sort of reverse uh, like uh, causation that runs backwards in time yeah, like or something like that. The genie knows what kind of person you are. Like, do you want to be the kind of person who this genie can trust with its box? Oh, oh, is it also that if you take both boxes, you're a bad person? No, it's just, you know, the genie knows that you're the kind of person who takes two boxes and they're not going to give you an extra million dollars. Like, that's not an indictment of you as a person. That's just economics. Yeah, I'm I'm arguing for the other side here just out of benefit for... Oh, but yeah, no, it's important to, like, if it would be boring if we all argued for the same thing. And also people wouldn't under, like, not necessarily understand what the argument is. The argument for the other one is that, like, obviously you take both boxes because the million dollars is either there or there isn't. You can't change it now. And so might as well have one a million and one thousand dollars. I think that the interesting thing is that like people will change their answers based on the values of the money that's in. Oh, the that box. is interesting because I wouldn't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I would, but like I don't think I would. Tell me more. What's what's an example? Like, what would make me? What would make somebody more or less likely to? So if it's like the genie box has a million dollars and the bonus box has nine million or nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars in it. Then for some for some reason, like the logic doesn't change, but for some reason now, because the quantities are almost equal, people will kind of shift over to like, oh, maybe I take both boxes. I actually would take both boxes in that case. Interesting. Uh, because what, what was it? If I if I pick one, I get a million. If I pick if I pick both, I only get a dollar less. And also maybe the genie mispredicted. I guess, yeah, like how much faith do you have in a genie? So it's taking a million to one bet. Like million to one odds that that the genie made a mistake, and I, I think that's a maybe a bet worth taking. That's fair. Yeah, like I guess at, in that case, maybe I start caring about like, give me some other predictions, genie. Let me see how good you are at this. Yeah, like what what's what's actually the the correct prediction rate of the genie? If the genie is a perfect predictor, does your does your answer stay the same? Yeah, and like okay, so like part of the thing here is like. I was saying earlier, like, I want to be the kind of person this genie can trust. Like, like if this genie is listening in at this moment, like, I don't want them to think I'm a two boxer. Hey, 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 genies, genies. Uh, this is this is me talking to you right now. Right. You know that I'm a one boxer, right? You know that I'm a one boxer. Right. Like this genie is like looking at my whole past life with its omniscient genie powers to try to decide whether to to put that money in that box. And I feel like I need to be consistent here i need to present a unified front about my boxingness genies you should know that if you put the same amount in both boxes i'm definitely taking both <laughs> <laughs> at least he's honest what if it's just a really uh, the genie's just like really bad at predicting <laughs> the genie's just all over the map yeah. basically just throws a dart at a dartboard and then says i don't know i put some money in one of the boxes <laughs> they, get, they put some money in the wrong box the genie is just a dude. He doesn't have a million dollars. He he put like a rubber duck in one of the boxes. <laughs> He's just some guy you know. Who trusted this guy with a million dollars? That's what I want to know. It's just a dude. Yeah, where did he get this million dollars? Is that an ethically sourced million? Sustainably there's no, farmed? There's no way to be an ethical millionaire. <laughs> Do I owe taxes on the million? Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, man, this might count as my income. Are you guys ready for another topic? Yeah, I can go on. Yeah, let's do it. So my topic here is celebrating Christmas by saying you have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. 
something exactly yes <laughs> i didn't make the connection i'm gonna be honest i was just like okay <laughs> this is an odd christmas greeting but i'm here for it there's a house in our neighborhood that over christmas they call the rising sun if only you know they it was a it was a house with enormous uh lit up sign like lettering on it saying now i have a machine gun ho 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 i didn't know that was in your neighborhood i saw that picture and i was just like all right cool i didn't realize you took that picture i took the picture that kind of seems that kind of seems not okay yeah that's what i was thinking like i mean i get the joke but there are definitely going to be people living there who have never seen die hard and they're just going to be like, oh, shit, I live next to some terrifying people. Who just think it's super festive to announce their how armed they are. You got a machine gun for Christmas. That's amazing. Yeah, it's one of those asymmetric things where, like, if you know the joke, then it's harmless. And if you don't know the joke, it's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. There's certain venues to make that joke, but probably your house is not one of them. Uh, and... What should I have done about this? Should I have, instead of taking a picture and and snarking about it on Twitter, should I have knocked on their door and let Mm. them know how scary they are? Excuse me, sir. Do you have a machine gun? Because if so, I, your neighbor, (laughs) am terrified. Uh, That's actually a great way to play it is to like feign ignorance and just be like, oh, I am very scared by your sign. Can I borrow a cup of machine gun? I just want to fire it into the air a bit. I have a young cousin who is terrified by your sign, sir. Are, are you okay? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's knocking on their door to ask if they're okay is definitely the way to handle it. I hear somebody in your house has a machine gun. Are you safe? <laughs> Do you feel safe right blink, now? Blink, blink twice once if for you yes. need help. <laughs> Die Hard is a Christmas movie in that it takes place at Christmas. There is some element of like Christmas festivities that plays into the plot. But, man. The corpse wears a Santa hat. People are like, what's your favorite Christmas movie? And it's like, well, okay. I mean, I guess you could say Die Hard. Technically, that that works for that. But are you really getting into the spirit of it? or My favorite Christmas movie is Survive Style 5 Plus, which is a Christmas movie on even more bare of a technicality. <laughs> Does a corpse wear a Santa hat is my question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I have to, I have to consider that. They're like, there is a corpse in the movie that could... <laughs> have worn a Santa hat, but I don't think it did. (laughs) I mean, is there any movie where there isn't a corpse that could have worn a Santa hat? (laughs) Scholars still disagree. (laughs) Jim, what's your, uh, what's your favorite Christmas movie? I I can't think of anything other than Die Hard. That there are no (laughs) other Christmas movies that exist. Oh no, Jim. Oh no. You have become that which you hate. See, I was actually expecting the the conversational turn a a minute ago to be, I don't have anything against people with machine guns, rather than I don't have anything against people whose favorite (laughs) Christmas movie is Die Hard. I I also don't have anything against people with machine guns. They can have their machine guns. Some of my best friends have machine guns, and they're terrifying. (laughs) See, that's actually my problem, is that, like, I understand that, like, some people like gun sports. It's like a fun hobby for them. But... For me, like, I don't know, I'm, like, phobic of guns. Like, if I touch a gun, I start crying. I know people who like to go to the shooting range or, like, go out to the desert and, I don't know, shoot some things. And, and master it, yeah. Yeah, and they, yeah. They, they have a fun time. And, like, if I try to imagine myself doing that, I would have a panic attack. Something There's something that's, that's very charming from a mechanical standpoint about guns. Mm-hmm. Like, they're very uh, utilitarian and stripped down uh kind of technology Mm -hmm. no wasted parts yeah there's kind of nothing on it that is uh is unnecessary or might uh so this is interesting it's like i like watching and i don't seek them out but like when youtube brings them up i don't i like i've seen i made a 3d printed gun or like i made a gun out of stuff i found at the airport or whatever and those are like interesting to watch i like watching Mm -hmm. people being like i built a gun or like i took apart this gun or whatever, I modified this gun and being like, that's a a cool thing to do. You just crafted that with your hands and you made this thing that does that thing. But also it's a gun. I don't want to touch it. Yeah. I think that you should not not have to touch anybody's gun. Yeah, I'm not gonna. uh, If you don't want to. I'm not gonna. How do you feel about video games? I like video games. What about the ones with guns in them? Uh, I'm less into those, but like they're okay. I actually, I'm, I haven't tried like the VR ones because I'm worried that that would be too much. 
I can and play. And start crying, it would fill up the mask. And yeah, and I just drown. Sort something out. Oh yeah, there is a danger there. It's a serious concern. I haven't tried it yet. I might try it sometime. I actually, in some ways, I kind of feel like I'm missing out. Like this fear is restricting me. If I didn't have this fear, I could at some point just go down to a shooting range and see what the hype is and, you know, like it or not on its own merits. But I have this block and maybe it would like be good for, I don't know, my self growth to get rid of it. But also like, eh, there's so many hobbies that I'm not getting into. Also, like, I'm pretty sure you've done both laser tag and archery, and that basically covers it. Yeah, that's fair. I, I do like laser tag, though, and archery. But. I mean, laser tag is objectively kind of the most fun that you can have with your pants on. <laughs> <laughs> what about strip laser tag? Oh, my God. Oh, the I fun would, police would come and I get you. play the heck out of some strip laser tag. You shoot their clothes, and the clothes just disappear. <laughs> Oh, no. That'd be great. This is like that dream that I had. <laughs> Showed up to laser tag, and then everybody laughed at me, and I wasn't wearing pants. <laughs> but then it turned out that was just the game they were playing, and none of them were wearing pants. Yeah, no, it's no pants in my laser tag arena. <laughs> you guys ready for another topic? Sure. So I feel like we don't, we already discussed this one, this episode, but this is a write-in. Kevin asks, the fear that other podcasts will steal your idea to discuss topics this has already happened. It's called Thunk. Oh, Thunk's not a podcast, though. Okay. Okay. As long as no one ever I've been trying. produces an RSS feed. <laughs> my, yeah, my, my RSS feed is unfortunately broken. I have been releasing episodes as audio, but I don't know that that counts as a podcast. Like if there's audio that you can listen to via an RSS feed, I, that's definitely a podcast. Well, my RSS feed is broken, so... So it's not a podcast. <laughs> so we're, we're okay. <laughs> we're still good. All right. So this is a complete hypothetical. No one's ever done topics on a podcast except for us. Yeah. We're original here. But what if it did what happen? What if it did what happen? Would... Yeah. It's a, it's a scary thought, you know? Like what if someone just waltzed in and started talking about topics? I, I feel like you've, got, you've kind of staked your claim in topics. You know, like people know you as the topics guy. You think the topic lord? Exactly. Yeah, I don't like think... if somebody else comes in and there's some kind of topic peasant. <laughs> topic knave, I think. Topic serfs. They ha they have to do breakbacking labor in the topic fields. Oh no! But what if they're like surfers and they talk about surfboards and stuff? Well, that's just like one topic. We can we can probably like do some distribution where some people can get like one topic and they can have that topic. Right, their topic is surfing, and that's fine. I, I just won't talk about surfing. I won't talk about any topic that other podcasts are about. There's, there can't be that many topics like that podcasts talk about in the world, right? Like, there's not been that many podcasts. All the ones I've seen are about either relationships or video games. It, it seems like like the the binary here, right? Like the gender binary. You're you're either relationships or your video games. And I've invented the third gender, which is topics. Right. You're the, the non-binary podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, speaking the, the ternary. Speaking of podcasts, yeah. I'm sorry, but there is a train literally going past my apartment right now. So I'll, it's okay. We can uh, we can edit that out. Oh, you can do that. The magic of post. I can edit out this whole chunk of the podcast. It'll be like it never happened. Okay, I think it's gone. Okay. Talk about it like it's a guy with a gun in the next room. I think it's, <laughs> it's okay. I can edit him out. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that's a... You should have done that to the guy at the house. Okay. So, legit, no joke. I really wish that I had the ability to edit in post just my entire life. Oh, that would be so handy. It would be really useful because I'm, I'm not very clever just kind of on the fly. If I sit and think yeah. real hard for a couple of weeks, then sometimes I can come up with something funny to say. It would be really cool if I could like just compress that thinking time down and then like edit out the time in between and then just drop something clever at the right moment. Yeah, no, I do that with this podcast. Oh. I will compress silences to like, if you think, sit and think for five seconds is going to end up three, quarter of a, three quarters of a second, you'll sound like a genius. Another thing I do, so take advantage of this if you can, is if someone says a joke and then immediately they say a better version of the same joke, I'll cut out the first one. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. He, he wields the power. I heard a horror story about uh, an aesthetic that doesn't actually 
like block the pain. You just forget the pain. Oh, there's like a, a there's like a creepy name for it. It's like Twilight Sleep or Phantom Sleep or something like that. Twilight Sleep is a name that I've heard regarding like a uh, like surgical drugs. Okay. Anyway, my idea is that whenever like one of these things happens to you that you want to like, I'm going to want to forget the next 15 minutes and just remember the part where I thought of the great thing. You just take that drug. I couldn't do it. This reminds no, me. That stuff creeps me out. I used to read uh, bash.org back in the day. I read oh, the, yeah? the entirety of it and I have an, an unconscionable amount of it squirreled away in my memory somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was about surprise cake where you dose yourself with rohypnol and then you bake yourself a cake. And then when you wake up, you don't recall having made yourself a cake. And so surprise cake. See, these days that's just Kickstarter. You could also just do that by just having a bad memory, which is what I do. And what the way it usually works out is you uh, wake up and there's a cake smoking in the oven, then you're going to burn your house down. That's not the best way to do it. I got a book recently from a Kickstarter I didn't even remember existed. I was very excited. <laughs> I, I also get uh, surprise packages from Amazon. Little care packages to your future self. Not having a good memory can sometimes backfire. Uh, I remember distinctly one time when my wife and I went to Chipotle and got some delicious Chipotle burritos. And I was so hungry that I came home and wolfed it down. And I did not store the memory of having eaten it. I went and did something and then came back to uh, my wife sitting on the couch finishing the last half of her burrito. And then I went into the Chipotle bag to find mine. And I was like, it's not there. Where's my burrito? I'm so sad. She's like, you ate it already. And (laughs) so not only was I, had I wolfed it down, but also I had lost uh, the entire experience of having consumed it. Which is kind of like phantom sleep. No, that's the real loss. So that's the opposite. That's like when you roofie yourself and eat the cake. <laughs> you don't know why you're gaining weight. <laughs> right. You guys ready for another topic? Yeah, all right. Uh, so Josh, your your topic here is McMaster Carr. Oh God, McMaster Carr. So I don't know if you're like me, but I do a fair amount of building things. Uh, in my professional physical things, yeah, like physical stuff, like like one of the things that I'm thinking about making is like a a, a linkage, like a swing arm to mount my camera to, so that I can stash it up against the wall and then swing it down, so that I can record my thing without having to like set up a tripod or anything like that. And McMaster Car is a wonderful website. It is like every machinist, every shop has this massive yellow tome that's the book version and it's got thousands and thousands and thousands of everything that you could possibly need to build a thing they've got like raw materials and nuts and bolts and pins and uh and i can't even think of things right now the tools that you would need to put things together like riveters and drills and pneumatic presses and Yarn. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe yarn. They definitely have okay. rope. They definitely have rope and string and stuff like that. So you could get close enough. Yeah. So you could probably do something with that. If you if you ever needed anything to build anything, McMaster Car is where you could possibly get it. The magic of the website, like the the website's search search utility, is exceptionally robust. It's the way that Google is with. You just type like some nonsense into the Google search bar. And it's like, did you mean Boris Yeltsin? Oh, yes, yes, that's what I meant. But the McMaster Car website is like, I want to attach a thing to another thing. It's like, did you mean fasteners? Yes, yes, I did mean that. <laughs> is this like that that website where it's like, I want to glue this thing to that thing, and then it tells you precisely which glue to that, use? That's this to that.com, which is also very useful. But this to that will tell you what glue to use. McMaster Car has. 50 different versions of that glue in like everything from little like needle uh, syringe things to like 50 gallon drums of it. Whoa. So I, I'm still not quite clear. Do they, do they sell you the thing? Yeah. So, so that's what, okay. So this is, it's a, it's a hard, like a hardware store. It's a, yes. It's like the most, most magical multiple warehouse size hardware store that you have ever even conceived of. Very cool. I want to just go like spin around in that, I don't know, one of those Disney songs. 
Yes. Arms outstretched <laughs> and just like, oh, Yes, 100%. And there's like little like uh, inventory robots that are fluttering around your skirts. Yeah, exactly. They land on my finger. <laughs> An experience that is not unlike that is to just go to the website and just click on random things. It's like wiki walking, except with like industrial stuff so you like scroll down and it's like welders you're like oh i don't i don't know what kind of welders there are and you click it and then there's like five very neatly organized little catalog pages just like here's migs and tigs and uh stick welders and like welders that you can fit in your car and all sorts of other stuff i mean i drove past a car with some welders on it on the the bay bridge the other day and i was like trying to read the labeling like what kind of welders have they got Maybe I can find out. People who weld things or the or the machinery? Like metal boxy objects on the car of like oh, yeah, yeah. mysterious provenance. And I was like, I don't know what this machine is. I think one of them was a welder. I don't remember now, but there was like a few different ones. And I was like trying like what? It was like a, a truck of like somebody going to a job site or something, I assume. And they had all their tools in the back. And I was just like, what have you got going on? Yeah, welders are a, are a tremendous amount of fun. Like there's a... A sort of mystique that surrounds them. Like people who weld tend to be very much like, uh, you know, I have been welding for 50 years, kid. And they also wear those awesome masks. Yeah, the masks are so cool. They're auto darkening. Whoa, I didn't know that. Yeah, so like transition lenses. They're they're like the most rapid transition lenses, like under under a millisecond timing, where you are suddenly using a plasma beam that is brighter than the surface of the sun. And it's a good idea to have something that to like clicks in place over your eyes so that you don't burn out your retinas. Right. Yeah, the, the reaction speed of my transition lenses is just never a thing I had considered before. Yeah. You, you need yourself a welding. Well, maybe you don't need a welding mask, but a welding mask <laughs> will <laughs> do that faster for than your pupils constrict. Yeah. <laughs> This is a thing, though. Like, your body has, like, these these things in it. Like, your pupils constrict if there's bright light. There's also a thing in your ears that tries to close if it hears a, a loud noise. My my one of those is broken on my right in my right ear. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Was it broken by a loud noise? Uh, it's debatable, but um, I get, like, crunching noises in that ear if I'm around loud noises for too long. So it's just like it's trying to close, but it can't. Yeah, it's like... I, f- I feel like I get that, too. Like, whenever I'm on BART, it, when the when the twin noise gets really loud, I stop hearing the noise. I just kind of start, just kind of start hearing white noise. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like a crinkling sound. You can feel, like, stuff moving around inside... Or well, I can feel stuff moving around inside my uh, ear cavity. And that's my Whoa. damaged machinery trying desperately to stop me from going deaf. That sounds bad. <laughs> this might explain why I'm so bad with like concerts. Mm, yes. Or, you know, other loud things. Yeah, I take earplugs with me whenever I go to an event that is going to have sound at it. So now I want like some earplugs that are like highly responsive, like welding glasses responsive snapshot in my ears. I, I think that they make those for professional musicians that, and they're designed to be worn like all the time. Supposed to preserve your hearing or something. They just install them permanently. I feel like it would get sweaty in there. Maybe maybe it's powered by the sweat. Oh, earwax-powered earplugs. They have to make different ones for weight people and Asian people. Yeah, we get the greasier ones so ours can go longer. <laughs> Finally, where there's some advantage to having chunky white person earwax. When you were describing McMaster Car before the show, um, I had thought that uh, it was like a information resource it's kind of that too like they're ostensibly they're you know they're an online merchant and they sell you stuff but you can learn that they have like little wikipedia look like blurbs for things like like if you if you go to the catalog page for uh self-tapping screws then there's a little dialogue box at the top that will say like if you're trying to use screws in this then you should use this kind of screw and whatever so it's like a better wikiHow. Yeah, it's it's like a wikiHow written by um, like machinists. Who actually know how? There are fewer cute uh, cartoons, but ah, that's really the draw. 
Yeah, I still need to figure out where can I go to type in my search of like, you know, when you have like a calculator that has like a clamshell calculator or anything with a lid where you push a button and the lid opens extremely slowly. Yeah. And I guess there's a spring in there doing that. I want to know how that works. And like, can I just type that whole paragraph into McMaster car and they'll give me the spring I need? Well, you can search for, um, for dampers, which is what you're looking for. Uh, well, now now I don't need a now I don't need McMaster car. You just need Josh. There there are um, types of hinges that you can buy that are called like soft open or slow open hinges that have yeah. these sort of these dampers that are built into it. And it's uh, there are different kinds, but one of the most common is like there's a sort of a a labyrinth, and uh, as the thing opens, there is an oil that is forced through this like small. Oh, it's like an oil timer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um I didn't make the connection that these are the same thing, but of course they are. I last time I went to a hardware store, I saw like on the shelf those arms that you can use to make doors shut slowly. Just this this big cylinder that I assumed at the time was like this is probably a lot like a French press where it's hard to push the thing down. I never thought about I see you see those cylinders that make the door close slowly and I never thought about what was inside them. It's just like something that doesn't close real good. All right. Door door close slowly fluid. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's stuff that as you as you push on it harder, then it flows back on itself more and so it slows down. Huh. Yeah, there's got to be like a, someone who's like cut one of those in half and you can see a cross section of it in action. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, wow. the, there's that Waterjet YouTube channel that does that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, I super want to see that. It's a, it's a good channel. I'm going to look for the link in the show notes. Are you guys ready for another topic? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Elena, your topic is conlanging with toddlers. Oh, yeah. All right. So this has been fun. I had been babysitting my friend's three-year-old most days recently, like trying to, to figure out stuff to keep him occupied. He really likes playing on my magnet board. And like for a while, we would just kind of like scribble on there and he would, you know, like draw a red scribble and say it was a fire and we would have to put blue magnets on it to put out the fire, hmm. <laughs> which, you know, is like fun games. Then at one point he wanted me to draw a dragon. So like I did my best to draw the dragon. And then we, we just started talking about this dragon and he said that the dragon spoke in dragon language. And I was like, can it teach me dragon language? And so then he just, he was like, yeah, totally. And we started going back and forth. I was like, how do you say dragon in dragon language? And he would like make some toddler dragon language no noise and I would transcribe it. So the way you say dragon in dragon language is I just have like this little spreadsheet I've been building of like how you say different things in dragon language. And I feel like if I like needed to actually do a conlang for something, this would be a great way to generate vocabulary. It strikes me as somehow appropriate that the dragons call themselves Drew, and then we come up, we just invented our own stupid word for them. Like nobody asks the dragons what they're called. And they never do, right? You don't go to the indigenous people and actually listen to them. It is a super weird thing to me that every language in the world has a different name for every other language in the world yeah. mm -hmm. and a different name for every other country in the world. It's exponentially more complicated than it needs to be. It really is. I especially like it when it like becomes like a game of telephone. Like, who are those guys? Oh, like they are so-and-so. And so then you get like this other person's name for those other people. Like that's like supposed to be what happened with like Eskimo, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Or like they say, they say, I don't know in their language. And there's like, oh, yes, I don't know is what you call those people. Yeah, that's uh, that's kangaroos. Yeah, that, right. That's yeah. Kangaroos. The worst part with the Eskimo thing is that apparently they ask like the hated arch rivals of the Eskimo. And so like the word Eskimo is actually like a huge insult. It was just they're like, oh, like those assholes. Right. <laughs> that's what we call them. Right. <laughs> And so they're like, ah, yes, the those assholes. Thank you. And like they, they, you know, they will come and be like, we are so honored to meet the those assholes people. Could you please teach us the those assholes language? And the Eskimo are like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> which is like, I think why there's like a shift to actually say like Inuit now, which is what they call themselves. Right. But I learned recently that only the um, ones in Canada are the Inuit. Yeah, no, there's like a bunch of different ones. It's just like a but they're all Eskimos, apparently. Well, because they're all those assholes. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
All of us are assholes. We're all assholes. So the Aleut, or however you pronounce that, in Alaska are also Eskimos. Yeah, the Aleutians. No, there's like a ton of different indigenous groups all throughout that area. And like we asked one of them about the others and they just gave us the slur. And we're like, yep, you're all that now. (laughs) That's a super dick move. Right? So have you tried using the dragon language to see if he remembers it? I don't think he does, unfortunately. Um, so we're going to start calling the dragons the Jew, and then the dragons are going to be like, what, you just listen to this one kid? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, well, you should have talked to an actual dragon. Yeah. But no, like, it was, it's also kind of funny because, like, the longer you go on in the conlanging session, the more excited he gets. And so he starts, <laughs> like, making words that are just, like, a lot longer, just, like, it, like so many syllables I stopped transcribing some of these, but like I was like asking him colors and I was like, right, how do you say, I don't know. So like, I was like, okay, how do you say dragon? He's like, Jew. And I was like, how do you say fire? And he's like, Draca. And I was like, how do you say green? And he's like, Trirar Horzera go. And I'm like, that's, that's <laughs> so, a lot of syllables for such a simple concept. I can eat the plastic of the glass tumblers. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's just like, you must've really had to circumlocute around the whole idea of green. Probably he just gave you the the frequency of that color. (laughs) It's precisely this many, what, hertz? I was going to say that it's probably that, like, dragons are, for some reason, they they can't see the color green. And so Mm -hmm. when when you ask, like, what do you call green? Then it's just a series of dragon words that means the color beyond what we can see or something like that. Right. Like if somebody who can see past ultraviolet or whatever is asking me, what's this color? And I'm like, I can't see a color there. I don't know what you're talking about. That hurts my eyes though. That, that's that's about less how long he was talking for. <laughs> the other thing it could be maybe is if this is something that they don't have, that they don't just discuss very much. Mm-hmm. Green is a taboo topic. Or it could be like um, how... Instead of saying uh, a year like 1984, you might say 1,984. Oh, yeah. So this is like giving like the full IUPAC name for a chemical instead of just saying alcohol or something. Elena, I, I, I feel like I always bring this up, but the, the linguistics rabbit hole, every single time you, I, you ever get let off the chain and you just like go in on some linguistic stuff, the depths of my ignorance about anything remotely approaching your your subject area. I'm always just like astounded. Well, you know, this is what I went to school for right. s- seven, eight, how many fucking years? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went to school for five years to get a degree in engineering and like, I could sum that up in like, like F equals MA and you can't push a rope. Like that's, that's the entirety of what I, I know. M- McCaskill car or whatever. <laughs> Oh, yes. And McMaster car, which they did not teach me at school. And I felt like an idiot the first time I got a job and they're like, just go on McMaster car. And I'm like, what's that? It's like when they finally let you use calculators on tests. Yeah. Revelation. Oh, man. What do you what do you mean? I don't have to store all of this. I don't have to do all of this manually. Did they make you use a slide rule? I, I knew the slide rule was going to come back. Nobody made me use a slide rule. You did that on your own volition. <laughs> I was like, this is some nerd shit. I got to get into this. How do you use a slide rule? Like, I don't know how they function. So do you remember logarithms? Kind of. Yeah, so logarithms are like kind of inverse exponents, and they have this curious property where the logarithm of A plus B is Mm -hmm. equal to the logarithm of A times the logarithm of B. So if you get a linear scale that it has a logarithm uh, on it, or a a logarithmic scale, so you have a ruler and... The space between zero and one is the same as the space between those distance between one and two is half that distance or, or whatever those huh. ratios end up being. It gets like more compressed as you get to the end of it. Okay. If you have logarithmic scales, so you have like the log of this thing and then you add another another distance that is the log of this other thing, oh. then where you end up on the logarithmic scale is where, where those numbers are multiplied together. That's actually really smart. That's like really clever. Yeah, it's it's fairly a fairly ingenious use of some math that we've had sitting around forever. Props to whoever invented the slide rule. So it's good for multiplying and dividing more quickly and slightly less accurately. Yeah. So so like where where it ends up on the rule itself, you kind of have to you're reading an analog scale. 
you look at where your thing, like your final tick ended up and you're like, oh, it's like halfway between the 3.1 and the 3.2. And so is that like 3.15? I don't know. Somewhere around there. Are there other operations you could shortcut using this thing? There are. There's a linear uh, There's a linear scale on it as well. So you can take logarithms and do exponents and stuff. And there's all, all sorts of other fancy stuff that you can do with slide rules that I have not taken the time to learn. Because I was just like so pleased with myself when I taught myself the one thing. Like it, it got us to the moon, man. Yeah. Freaking engineers just sitting around sliding bits of wood past each other. And they're like, okay. Because we hadn't invented calculators yet. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we got to calculating machines like in the midst of building the stuff that people had designed with slide rules. Okay, to our next topic. We could, we could talk about this next topic. So my topic here is preserving old software, which is so currently we're in the middle of Flash, the uh, web app platform going away. Like it's expected like that none of the major browsers will support it by the end of this year, uh, which means that uh, in a, a huge ecosystem, like multiple decades of games built on that platform are just going to vanish. Yeah. Um, people are working on html5 emulation of of this platform uh, i just announced a native code version of frog fractions which was a flash game yeah that i released in 2012 um that's gonna so the, so that you can actually play this on your on your windows machine or what have you uh this year once i release it and i did this like in part because people aren't going to be able to play this game if i don't do something about it right yeah, no, it, it's crazy that like, I don't know, you think about, I don't know, the digital landscape is in some way being more pure or like more indelible than having a, a hard copy of something, but it turns out to be so transient. Right. And it's, it's, the bits are the same, but the, it's the context that the bits exist within that changes and makes it unusable. Also like iPhone just went 64 bit, I think is what happened. Yeah, no, no. My boyfriend was like super pissed about that because he had like a bunch of apps that were 32 bit that just are gone now. One of my housemates, like her favorite, like note taking app or something is just nope. Yeah. Yeah. And if, unless the developers of those apps, like sit, go back and like recompile their software for the, against the new API in, in the, the new compiler, it's just not going to work. And you hear about people who like, they really liked the game Bookworm Adventures. Mm -hmm. And so they still have an iPhone 3 because you can't run Bookworm Adventures on the modern iPhone. Oh my God. It's kind of interesting to think that computers make a lot of things much easier. You know, uh, obviously programming software, you can do things that you just weren't available to us before. But the ephemeral nature of it is that thing, it's very easy to unmake things as well. Software only uh, hangs around for as long as people care about it and maintain it and stuff in a way that like books, you, you can write a book and then stuff it on a shelf somewhere. And 200 years later, somebody can pick it up and still use it. Whereas if it was a, a computer program, then those bits would be uh, appropriated to do something else or wiped or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and I've been, um, I've been using... Microsoft Windows as my main operating system for many years, and they have actually done uh, significant work to make sure that old software keeps running. So the lifetime of a of a piece of software, especially a game on Windows, tends to be pretty good. But you still will get occasionally those like oh, I I just this is not going to run. There aren't any good emulators for like Windows ninety five yet. I don't think. You just have to have an old computer to run it. Wow. But um, notably, old game platforms like DOS and the Nintendo Entertainment System mm -hmm. are some of the best preserved software contexts huh. in existence. Like if you want to make a game that people will be able to run in a thousand years, your best bet by far is to make an NES game. Wow. Because it's just so well-documented and so widely emulated. Like people have been making NES games. Uh, I mean, like most of those, um, most of those, like the, the game, like the, in television that you plug into your TV uh -huh. or like all the little, uh, 
the one-off, like the Oregon Trail handheld thing that was in Target a couple of years right. ago. Those are based on uh, the NES design. Wow. Um, huh. the, just because like that, the NES on a chip was something that... Um, that I believe Chinese manufacturers invented this in order to like sell, you know, 10,000 in one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bootleg game one, like consoles. Those that, things you always see in the mall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it just became an extremely cheap part. And there were just enough people who knew how to program it. That it, just, it became a de facto standard for many different game development really uh, cool. projects. It's a very strange, like, out- outcome. It's not, like, one of the best platforms for making games on. It's just very... Uh, documentation just, is important, turns out. Documentation is huge, yes. I'm sure that I'm sure that you two, as coders, are bo- both love to hear that documentation might be one of the most important things that you do. <laughs> as a linguist and a coder, it, it actually is very important to me. I'm sure, Elena, that you write all of your comments and code in like iambic pentameter or something. <laughs> I write them in IPA so that they'll be completely legible. <laughs> it's just, you want to preserve your accent. Right. How will they know that I come from the particular area of California that I come from if they don't hear how I pronounce this? They won't get the, the puns. <laughs> That that is the most important part. I I, I got to say that God yeah. damn, I love I love like Easter eggs that are in code that are only for other coders. Like <laughs> oh yeah, just go troll through somebody's you know well documented code and find stuff that's just like hey, like I was here. Yeah, that's always fun. Or like looking through game ROMs to see the messages people left. Oh yeah, uh-huh. I'm thinking about that line from like what is it like. The, the one spacecraft or something that has the, the comment temporary, I hope, hope, hope. <laughs> That's definitely my favorite comment on a piece of code ever. That's like one of the things that got us to the moon. is Or I don't know if it was the moon, but whatever. Some space place um, has, if you look in the code, which is like available now, you can like go online and look up the code for this thing. One of the comments is like this, it's on this piece of math or something. And then they had to, to do it in like a really compressed amount of time. And so they're like, all right, we're going to do the worst possible version of this code. Yeah. And yeah, hack yeah. it together. And so this is just this comment temporary. I hope, hope, hope. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's there forever. And my favorite example that I have heard of, of uh, the worst possible version of code. This was somebody at Microsoft working on Microsoft Word who was apparently really depressed. Yeah. Uh-huh. And was tasked with writing a function that would return the length or the height of a line of text. All right. And the function they they wrote was just return 12. <laughs> God. <laughs> they waited for the bug report to come in. Oh. The, yeah. The, the I mean, back to the, the actual topic. I, I think that it is fascinating that like the sort of archival efforts that are going on right now. I, I listened to the uh, Giant Bombcast Jeff Gersman talks a lot about like how uh, sort of the the video game archival work that is is happening, like people finding these old uh, old architectures and squirreling them away for posterity, and just so that people yeah. can play these things. So I was talking to my friends recently um, about like the, there's the Final Fantasy VII remake, right? And I was like, but yeah. when am I going to get my Chrono Trigger remake? Mm. And apparently, <laughs> the source code for Chrono Trigger is lost. A lot of those games just they they the the Japanese development companies did not value that stuff at all. Wow! Like uh, the Final Fantasy VII uh, PC port was largely rewritten because of that. Like they just didn't have the source oh code. Oh god! It wasn't as bad as it sounds because a lot of it, like a lot of the game, existed in scripting and the scripting was preserved because it was just directly on the disc. Sure. But like the actual backend code is is gone wow. or was gone, and so like all the modern ports of that game are based on the PC port. Huh. I like yeah. the the idea that you you wouldn't just like save a disc, just save a disc, right? Just you know, put yeah. it in a, a box somewhere. Maybe somebody has it. Maybe somebody like brought it home. Yes, you know, fifty years, somebody's going to die, and their kids are going to go through their stuff and be like, "I found the source code for Chrono Trigger," yeah. and then they'll throw it away because they don't know what it is. <laughs> it's going to be on a floppy disk that only they only last for like fifteen years. So. Right. I heard about something that was like source code disks or like some sort of documentation that the development company went out of business and the programmers like just stashed it like above the acoustic ceiling tiles like they had this drop ceiling and they just put it in the 
in the ceiling of of their office before they they close up shop. And then so many years later, somebody came in and went and looked for it, and it was there. Wow. They were, was it a new company that was trying to do the same thing and they rented the old office space? (laughs) Hopefully. No, it was like some of the old programmers or like one of the old programmers told somebody else who was interested in this sort of archival work. And they, they went to this office that was now like a dry cleaning company or something. I don't know. And wow. Yeah. Excuse me. Can we look in your ceiling? Yeah. Yeah. You have to pull off a heist. Yeah. I, I would watch a heist movie about that. That would be awesome. Oh yeah. That'd be like an episode of Leverage. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about, um, I forget why I mm-hmm. thought of this, but MAME is basically a museum of arcade architectures. Uh-huh. Like as much as it is a way to play video games, it's a way to like see how those old games were all were put together. Like not not just the software, but the the, the um, all the all the individual components on the circuit board. Huh. Not like capacitors, but all the the um, integrated circuits that could be emulated. Right. You could see how those are put together, and that's how they define what a game is. Is they take like they wrote, wrote emulators for all the, all the chips, uh-huh. and then they uh, they put them together. So another thing, I guess, that's kind of a, a related effort that's really impressive is when you know when the source code for something like that is lost, but you have these hordes of faithful fans who who loved that thing and have devoted their lives to studying every minute of it and they can piece together their own fan version of that thing or like a tribute to it that's that's like it captures the original in some way well yeah and like that's why games are some of the best preserved software Mm -hmm. like if you if you have like old like educational software that you know, teenage nerds are not going to give a shit about that stuff is probably just gone. Right. But the stuff that people love, they're going to, they're going to remake. I, I recently got excited because I, I discovered that somebody uh, is, is working on is maybe about to release or has already released a super monkey ball clone, basically with like okay, 300 yeah. new levels of content that has like a, an extremely authentic feel. And I'm so hyped to play it because I'm, it just looks like monkey ball all over again. Yeah, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. I've been, um, I've been on a Tony Hawk's pro skater kick Ooh, recently. That was a good one. Um, and yeah, no, I, I really like that series. Um, and there is a, um, a mod, a modern mod of Tony Hawk's underground Two. They took the PC version of it and they, just added in uh they tried to make like the ultimate like free skate tony hawk experience where they took levels from every game and put them in this nice. game and then took levels from other games like you can skate in like pianta village <laughs> and from super mario sunshine oh, nice uh and the bummer of it is that um it's just free skate like none of the none of the goals are there. Uh, so. Yeah, that that was the that was like the major part of those games, right? Is you've got these. Yeah, that was the the main campaign was that you were trying to accomplish certain tasks. Right. Uh, my, I was trying to get it working, and in, in in and in trying to make it happen, I was researching it and found out that this is actually not going to do what I want at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I've just been playing the old games in emulation yeah. instead. Yeah, all right. Uh, at least you know there's an emulation of them that you can play, and they're not lost to time. Yeah, yeah, no, these they're pretty well preserved for, but yeah, like it also this other uh, effort of like trying to like make, create the ultimate fan fan made experience uh, is also, but also one that you like have to really work to make happen because they can't really make a, they can't like package the game together with the mod because that would be illegal, so you have to somehow source yourself a copy of Tony Hawk's Underground Two. And then you have to de- install this mod, and then even then, like your your job is not done. Yeah, that like kind of puts up a barrier to entry there. Like you have to kind of already be a super fan, and you have to not realize that the goals aren't there. Right. Another thing that the this topic makes me think of, I guess, kind of harkening back to the the fact that like the things that people love are going to be the things that they try to preserve, is um the there's a short story by Ted Chang, the life cycle of oh. software objects. Have you read it? Hmm. It's really good. No. Okay. So uh, it, it just, t- it touches on this exact concept that like software becomes like outdated and obsolete and it requires a certain ecosystem to run. And like over time you have to like maintain it or else it's, 
it, it can't work anymore. And it applies that to the idea of like early AI kind of like it's the premise is that like there's these not exactly like Tamagotchi type things, but it's like little AI pets that people that had. It was like this really popular fad for a while. And then you know, like people get sick of them. There's like a, a small group of like diehard fans who are trying to like preserve a, like a, a place for these like these things to live and figure out what their place in society now that like the company that originally developed them isn't like maintaining them anymore. Like their food is like DRM covered or something like all this stuff. <laughs> right. Trying to like keep these software pets that they love alive. There was a, a this actually happened in Second Life. Really? Um, I can't remember the exact story. I'll put it in the show notes if I can find it. But there was a company that was selling virtual pets and you had to keep buying pet food from them or the pets would go to sleep forever <laughs> if you didn't feed them. That's uh-huh. the saddest thing ever. And then the company went under and you couldn't buy the pet food anymore. No, the virtual pets. No. Did they like do anything to free the pets before they went under? Or is it just like... Oh, I, I don't remember. I'm I'm pretty sure the pets just went to sleep. That's so sad. Oh, that's tragic. They're just sleeping. They're okay. No. I just want to wake them up one more time. I'm convinced that like people will have like genetically engineered pets where this shit is going to happen. Like some license will expire six dependencies oh, deep God. and the, the pet food DRM will stop working. And then you won't be able to digest it anymore. Right. <laughs> Yeah, like, sorry, this, no, I, this SSL certificate stopped, it expired, and we just forgot to oh renew it. That's so on that note, um, that's all the time we have. Thanks so, thanks so much for being on. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me. This, is, this has been a ton of fun. Oh, great, yeah. Uh, Josh, uh, if this is something that you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me, youtube.com slash thunkshow. All right. And Elena, uh, do you want people to find you on the internet? I'm on your Discord, the, the um, Topic Lord Discord. You can totally start paying money to the, the Topic Lord's Patreon to get on the Discord. Oh, yeah, definitely do that. Do that. And then you can talk to Elena. Yeah, that's where you'll find me. Uh, I had a good sign-off last time. Now I don't remember a good one. Uh, you it, Wasn't it something like, we bring the topics, you bring the ears? Yeah, that was one that I used once and it was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it still is terrible. Uh, you, okay, you you can't have any topics anymore. No more topics. Oh, no. The end. <laughs> you have to come back next week. Topics are no longer being maintained. We will renew your topic subscription next week. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.